You're listening to a sermon from crckulaman.org. Thanks for having us out. A few have already mentioned it, the coronavirus, and I know that, um, yeah, you turn on the TV and you go down the street and you turn on the radio and everywhere it's there. But again, probably just to reiterate that that it's important then for us, isn't it, to have a right perspective on it. Uh, A couple of things into that. One is is to have a source of accurate information because... You know, we can say, well, it doesn't bother me, I don't care about it, but it is bothering people in our world and in our communities. And so, therefore, we, it's important for us to, um, to, to be aware and be able to speak with hope and with, uh, you know, encouragement and with... Because I, I, I often refer to it, but I love the verse that says, hope is an anchor to our soul. And the soul is the mind, the will and the emotions, which are so tossed sometimes, aren't they, when things happen. And it seems to be like the nature and the agenda of our media at the moment. I mean, we appreciate the times when they give us helpful information, but it seems like there's a real agenda, doesn't there, to, um, to really focus on things and really build some things up. Um, so again, I'm not wanting to be critical too much of that, except to say that there is this agenda to... Uh, to kind of draw attention and maybe stimulate some fear and anxiety um, in areas of stuff that we're experiencing in our communities. So I just wanted to say um, a couple of things that I think may be helpful. I shared a little bit this morning, but just one is um, that there's a a website, uh, www.health.gov.au, so health.gov.au, that has like up-to-date information about it. And also they have a a regular on that website, so there's a thing called health topics and then coronavirus, and it gives you just some accurate information. So if people are saying things that are, you know, that are causing them to be a bit afraid or anxious or whatever, then it's it's good to be able to just know some facts. Do you think or not? Just when opportunity comes, it's not that you have to go around being a know-all. We're not saying that at all or whatever. But just there are times where if you settle it in your own heart, then sometimes you can actually be someone who can then make a difference into. Um, how others are perceiving it. Um, and uh, underneath that, that um, webpage, health.gov.au, is a thing called health topics and then uh, coronavirus. And then what they do is they bring up, at least every day roughly, is a health alert and it just tells you about um, you know, what's happening, like if there's new numbers or whatever that, uh, and, and areas where maybe that you need to be concerned. And Nikki, who led the worship today, part of her job, well, Nikki's at the back there, I mean, part of her job, there's plenty of others who, who may know here as well, but part of her job is, uh, requires her to know the, um, the information, the up-to-date information about this region. And at the moment, there's not one uh, case in the Murrumbidgee Health District. So in a sense, that means that if you're just here in the town and you're going about your business, coming to church, you know, whatever, then there's no problem to shake hands with one another. There's no problem to whatever. But if you don't feel comfortable, that's fine. There's no way to put both hands in the back pockets and stand there like this. But, but again, we respect that and understand that. But what I'm saying is there's places where they're saying, oh, this is what you should do and shouldn't do and don't go out and don't do this. And they have reason for that. I'm not talking about other places, but in our communities at the moment, you know, there's, um, it's really quite safe and the odds are very much you know, in our, in our favour. But people are still nervous and scared and worried and there's obviously side effects like the supermarket shelves, which we can bring a bit of hope and encouragement to, can't we? So I just thought I'd just mention that. Like, obviously, um, concern for people that we know who are elderly or who are experiencing serious health issues, um, you know, they they are more at risk than, than most of us. And so it's good to be praying for those people and watching out for those people because they're going to be a little more... 
uh, apprehensive, aren't they? And so we can just watch out for those people. Some of those people will go to their doctor and the doctor will say, oh, I really think you should stay home because, again, doctors, what they do is they tell us, you know, the most extreme thing because that's their kind of duty of care and, hey, we love our doctors, but, you know, part of what they do is tell you the worst scenario or whatever. So they'll say to some of those people, stay home. Well, we need to know if that's happened to some of our older people in our community, in our neighbourhood, well, we, we look out for them. You know, they might have been told not to have visitors, so they'll talk to you through the door. But, you know, again, it's just watching out for people, respecting how they feel, but bringing hope and encouragement. Is that right? Because this is going to go on for a while. So I just thought it might be worth just mentioning those things. And it already, already did in a really good way. But, um, you know, to us, we think, oh, well, we're just people of faith and whatever, but, which we are, absolutely. But it is really real to, to many in our communities and so it's good for us to be, bring that hope and be an anchor you know, to our communities and lead in our communities in that way. So just to encourage you with that. Um, the vast majority of our population, including children, recover okay. And something I read again from a factual site was within about 10 days, you know, most of us will be fine um, and whatever. So again, not playing it down, but just saying to, to get it an honest perspective um, on it. Um, and then I've just written here, as Christians and believers, we live by the word of God. God is our healer, our protector, who guides our life uh, with purpose and meaning. And so the fruit of that is faith and peace and hope, um, again, which we can share with people around us. Um, I shared a couple of scriptures this morning, and again, you can just jot them down quickly if you want to, or I can give them to you after, but Psalm 39.7, it's a really interesting one because it just asks this question. It says, and now, Lord, what do I wait for? And it's really saying, so what's happening? You know, how do I posture myself or poise myself for the future? Um, I'll just read that bit again to you. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? And then it says, my hope is in you. And so it's kind of like as I look to the future and I'm thinking, well, what's happening next? What, you know, what, what am I waiting for? What's, what's around the corner for me? I, I'm looking to the, to the future in some way. Then what I do is I just resolve. You know, my hope is in you, Lord. My perspective on the future is knowing that you have a plan for me, that, that you know, you're never caught by surprise. Is one thing I find myself saying often to God. Things come up and I say, Lord, you're never caught by surprise. I know you've got a way through this. I'm not sure right now what it is. You know, sometimes that's for myself, sometimes it's for the church, sometimes it's for somebody that I'm journeying with who, when they share their story, I think, I don't know what to say. I don't really know what the answer is, but I know, Lord, you're never caught by surprise. You know, you know what the way forward is, and if I can be part of that, you help me to know what it is. But otherwise, just give hope. Isn't that the word? Give hope. And so um, hope is a great thing to be able to have in yourself but also pass on to others I think I've shared it before here but Peter in Peter and I don't know the exact reference but in the book of Peter it says be ready to give a reason for the hope that lies in you <clears throat> so people will actually when you have hope people notice it they notice something about you they might not notice that you're better looking than everybody else they might not notice that um I don't know, that you're more intelligent or whatever. They might not, there's lots of things they might not notice. But what they will notice is they'll notice um, when you have hope. Because they just see the way that not only do you respond to good things, but the way that you respond to difficulty and, and uh, challenge. And it's not always easy. It's not like we skip through every challenge, do we? Who skips through every challenge? I won't worry about putting your hand up. But, you know, we don't skip through every challenge. But what we do is we're realistic. We face things. But in the light of challenge, there's something that anchors us. There's something that helps us to hold steady. And people see that. And they, and they, they often, they might not come straight up to you and say, what is it? But there's something that they're watching to try and understand something about 
you know, you as a person who has hope. Um, Psalm 91 is a good one. We won't read it. Psalm 119 verse 16 says, Uphold me according to your word that I may live and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. It's a good one, isn't it? Uh, to be ashamed of your hope means that, well, I, I um, followed the way of hope. I hoped for in, in the word and I hoped in God's promises. And then, you know, to be ashamed would be to follow that hope and then find out that you were wrong. Well, really, this is saying to the psalmist is really saying, you know, don't ever let me be ashamed of my hope. My hope is in you and don't let me be ashamed of my hope. In other words, don't ever let me regret that I followed your way. And, of course, he knows as he's saying that, that he's not going to be. You know, Lord, help me not to be. But, hey, this is the, one, the last one I'll share with you and then I'll get on to some other um, thoughts today. But Romans 15:13, I read it from a whole bunch of translations and it's really a lovely, a lovely verse. Um, on this theme of hope. So it's Romans 15, 13. If you want to have a look at it later, I'm rushing a little bit with it now. But it just says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So in the context of believing and trusting his word, it says that uh, the God of hope will fill you with joy and peace, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Amplified says, that by the power of the Holy Spirit you will abound in hope and overflow with confidence in his promises. It's good, isn't it? I know I'm rushing, but uh, hopefully you can grab something from that. The New Living Translation says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Passion Translation Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope. Do you like that? Fountain of hope. So it's really talking about lots of hope, overflowing with hope, being a fountain of hope. Um, Fill you with to overflowing. Sorry, I'll read it again. Now may God, the inspiration and fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy. Now I think kind of means the same thing uncontainable means that it's overflowing don't you reckon you can't contain it it's overflowing so may the god may god the inspiration and fountain of hope fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him and i've just made a note here words like overflow and uncontainable and radiate i think uh, it went on to talk about uh, radiating. Let me just see if that was... Anyway, it doesn't matter. May you radiate. Um, uh, those words, overflow, uncontainable and radiating, to me speak about not only does it impact us, but it also impacts others around us. Is that right? So if I'm overflowing with hope, it's not just about me. Oh, well, I've got hope. I'm all right. Well, you know what? When I've got overflowing hope, it's, it's affecting the people around me. I think my daughter Jody popped up a little uh, Instagram thing that she'd got from someone else. That's, that's what you do, you just keep stealing stuff of everybody else, don't you, and posting it. So she put this thing up and it sort of said, viruses are contain- contagious. So is fear. So is, and then it went on, but so is faith and so is um, peace and so is hope, you know. Not exactly those words, so I've made it my own, really. I didn't steal it, I've made it my own. But, uh, but you know, the thing is, um, it's, it's obvious, isn't it? That's what happens. And I mean, it's not like we run around. Look, you know me. I'm not saying run around and think you're better than everybody else or, you know, whatever, and run around and just kind of 
causes turbulence because you're so different. But as Annette said, there is something, isn't there, different? And it's not about us. Like when you have your confidence in God, someone bigger than you is living in you and speaking into your life and situation. And when you're choosing to trust that, like you've got to choose. You don't have to do too much, but what you do have to do is choose to trust the word and then choose to mine it and get all you can out of it. And when you do, what happens is it just makes you different. It makes you different in some way. Not different in a weird way, hopefully, but different in a way that will, will actually anchor your community. It will anchor your family sometimes. It will anchor your neighborhood. It will anchor your school. It will, you know, it will just do something that brings a strength and a stability to your community. We often talk about, don't we, being light and salt into the community. We often talk about how believers make a difference. You know, when we're in, a, in an environment, we have an authority and whatever. It's never about being better. And it's never about being cocky or it's never about kind of being a know-all, but it's all to do with just knowing, knowing, having this quiet confidence that you just know where you're going. You know what life's about. You know that when, when you fail, there's someone bigger than you that's holding your hand and carrying you through. You know, I'm a grandfather, as I usually bring into most messages nowadays. But, um, you know, I was there and I had the opportunity to look after Kemba while her mum was leading, which is always great. I said, take your time, you know, keep leading some songs there, enjoying, you know. But, but what happens is they, they seem to, my little boys, um, Cooper, and, and, uh, who was here as well, when I'm crossing the street or just doing anything really, when he's with me and holding my hand, he always feels a bit braver, you know? And that makes me feel good too, you know? Because he's, he knows he's stronger. When he's with me, he's stronger than what he is, you know? And we're like that very much, aren't we? Because we know our frailty, but we don't have to major on our frailty because he's with us all the time, isn't he? God's with us all the time and he's taken us through things. So anyway, trusting his word and just bringing hope to our community, that's what we're about. We're, we're, um, there's another place um, that um, the scripture in Thessalonians, I think it is, it talks about um, you know, uh, how um, feeling for people who have passed and uh, and as we grieve, maybe uh, people as, who pass, as this is often referred to in a funeral service when it's bringing hope in a funeral service, and it's really saying that we are not like those or we're not as those who have no hope. And again, it's not trying to put down or be critical or be better than someone else, but we're not like those who have no hope. We have a hope. When something goes wrong, we have the, the ability to look at the future in a way that sees through the situation that we're in right now. And I know like when you're in Sri Lanka and um, I was sharing with someone the other day, I can't remember where I was, but I was just saying, you know, it's easy when you're in, when you're in Sri Lanka and you're, you're with people, families that have lost a father and a brother in the civil war and you know that um, there's no source of easy income, you know, to support the rest of the family, you think, well, it's not going to change overnight, is it? You know, it's not going to be easy for them. They're looking at a future that's very challenging and very difficult. And when you're with those people, like, it's no good saying, oh, she'll be right, mate. It'll be better next week. It won't be better next week. For most of us, things do get better, but not always. Some things we just cannot see our way forward. But there is still hope in those situations, isn't there? Because we, we don't know what the answer is, but we know God is with us in this. And when I'm in Sri Lanka, I'm feeling, I'm thinking, I don't know, how is this going to get much better? How are they going to get an opportunity? You know, if they're, um, the, the, uh, you know, if they're the wrong nationality, then often they won't have opportunity to get to university. If there's no husband or father or even brothers that can earn an income for the family, they're never going to afford even to have an education, let alone to go to university. Do you know what I mean? So we support a couple of children's homes over 
over there and you guys are part of that as well. Um, but, um, but, you know, you think, well, at least we can do something for someone. You know what I mean? But it's so overwhelming. You think, well... The hope isn't that tomorrow's going to be better. The hope isn't that, well, maybe it won't be raining tomorrow. It'll be nice and sunny and you can do what you wanted to do. Their hope is, you know, a long-distance hope. But even in that, you know, you see that when they find um, relationship with Jesus, that somehow they look at life differently. And, they, and, and they, just, they, just, they may not know the answer, but they can see they live their life with a hope, with a different posture. Do you know what I'm talking about? So I'm just saying it's not all about circumstances changing easily. I'm not sure why I got onto all this, but maybe it's for someone you know, today. That it's not always even just about, well, all right for you, your circumstances will change tomorrow. You know, if we're doing it tough financially, well, we kind of think, well, something will change along the way or, or whatever. But for them, it's much harder to see how it could even change. And yet they kind of, when they, you know, when, they, uh, when they come to faith, a lot of the kids in our children's home, they come to faith and they're just so happy and so positive about their future and yet in the natural there would be many question marks, things that would make it very difficult. Anyway, hope, uh, hope that's helpful to somebody um, today. Um, all right, look, I just want to get on to a fairly simple couple of things to share with you. Um, I was thinking, and this is just a, a message I... It's not something I've preached before. I was just thinking about Kuhlman and this thought just came to me and so I just want to share with you um, on, on this message of... Um, it's, um, I was thinking about the word. This has just sort of started. I was thinking about the word and I was thinking about from James where it talks about how the word is a mirror. And I thought, okay, so I'll turn to that in a minute and, and we'll look it up and I'll tell you why. But as I was thinking that, I thought... There's some other pictures of the word, like there's the picture of the seed and there's the picture of um, a couple of other things. There's a picture of light and a light and a lamp, you know, that describe the word. And I like pictures. I, um, some of you who've been around me for a while know I like talking about the, the pictures of the church. You know, there's, there's like analogies or pictures in the natural that help us to understand things that are spiritual. Jesus did that, didn't he, with parables. But there are pictures in there. There are analogies, illustrations of something in the natural to help us understanding something in the spiritual. So I've always loved talking about the church as a bride, an army, a body and a family. I think I could have asked the guys up the back to tell me what they were, but I was a little bit scared to do that. But I talk about it so often at home and in different settings that they probably could have told me that back. Because I like the pictures. It gives me an understanding. What does the church look like? Everybody says, well, the church should do this and you'll be okay. If you do this, you'll grow twice as quick. And if you do this, you'll be the best church in the block. And, you know, whatever, you get all this stuff. So I remember one time I just thought, I've just got to settle this. What does the Bible say the church should look like? And so I just thought, it's got to look like a bride. And that talks about, you know, just our devotion to Christ. Whatever way we do church, whatever style, whatever our music's like, whatever anything else is like, whatever row our chairs are or whatever, it really doesn't matter as long as we are the church as a bride where we're, we're finding intimacy with God and everything else flows out of that relationship with Jesus. If that's not there, then we, we might as well be like any other club, mightn't we? But then is that just enough? Well, no, it's not enough on its own because the church is also spoken of as an army. Now, in that context, 
It's talking about the church going out into the community and into the world, fulfilling the Great Commission. So sharing the gospel is not going to win converts and drag them back in. It's actually going into your world and bringing um, the life of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, um, to set people free from the hold of the enemy in their life, to be able to pray for people and see them healed. That's what we're, we're told to do, to go into the world, be filled with the Spirit, then go into the world and do those things. So that's the church as an army. And we can be a church as a bride and always love just coming and having worship and we all just talk about, you know, things and whatever, but we never do anything that penetrates and makes a difference in our community. Well, then we're not being the church as an army. But then it doesn't finish there because the church as a family really speaks about a safe... I wasn't going to talk about this, but anyway, a safe place where, you know, we can all come and as different generations, we can be together at different stages in our journey, now life journey, yes, but also spiritual journey. And so what's happening is someone... Uh, you know, leads worship for the very first time. Somebody gets up to share at communion the very first time and they've got one of these music stands that doesn't hide your knees, knocking underneath. And so, you know, if they had a decent pulpit, at least you could look a bit confident, you know, like that, couldn't you? But, but I mean, we do that. We have like people like you guys do. Someone shares a seed thought for communion. I mean, Hillary was very confident today. She's done it a few times. But what you know is she's probably put a real lot, lot of thought into it and she's really thought about what does God want to say, you know, um, uh, today. And so I just think, man, I'm there waiting to hear what she's got to say because she looks, uh, you know, like she may be a, a touch, touch nervous. Were you a tad nervous or not really? No, no it's a tad. Yeah. She's a confident speaker, isn't she, up the front? But other people, you know, they're a bit, they know, you know that they're nervous. But so that's what a family does, doesn't it? A family celebrates when people are doing something for the first time, when someone's learning to walk, you know, the family celebrate. When they're learning to say words, you know, you celebrate. So it's a safe place to learn and to grow and to make mistakes and be honest about them and then support each other as we get better and whatever. You know, when we're hurt and we need to recover, well, then a family is, you know, usually, not always, I know, but usually a good place for that to happen. So the ideal picture of a church as a family allows all that to take place. And then the other aspect is the church as a body, which means from the youngest to the oldest, we all have an important part to play. From the ones that are invisible to the ones that are very visible, you know, we all play an important part in making the church you know, what it is. Is that right? We all have a part to play. So in that way, I think, oh, it really helps me understand the church a lot when I think about other pictures or whatever. So today I just wanted to give you these quick um, pictures about the Word of God um, and let you think about what does that really mean? So the first one, which is the first one that came to me, was in James in chapter 1, and it talks about the church as a mirror. Let's start verse 22. I could keep on wanting to go back another verse, another verse, but it'll need more explaining. So... Um, no, we'll read verse 21, sorry. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one is blessed in what he does. And it's talking about the word, isn't it? It's talking about looking into the word and believing what the word of God says, taking it as being true, letting it impact the way you live your life, and then you know it will make you it will make a big difference in your life, a positive difference in your life. So the idea of a mirror. Let's think about that for a minute. What can we learn from the picture of a mirror? 
Now, a mirror doesn't create much, does it? We'd think it would be nice if it did. Um, I, I've got a mirror somewhere in our house that actually, it's kind of got a bit of a tint or something in it. And I always like looking in that one because it kind of takes a bit of the red out of my face that I often get. Now, this is genetic, by the way. I'm okay. I'm, I'm well and everything. But um, my children, ask my children, they suffer with it too occasionally, don't you? And they've got me to thank for that. They get the red face very occasionally. Probably not as bad as me. But, you know, there's this one mirror in the house that when I look in it, it's quite good. It puts a bit of a brown tint, you know, takes away the shiny red. And it's actually quite good. It makes my eyes look, you know, a bit sparkly. And so I just, whenever I'm feeling a bit down, I just go to that mirror, you know. Now, the mirror doesn't really create anything. It seems like it does. But it's no, no point me really just going to that mirror every time, is it? Sometimes I probably need to have a look in the other one that's going to be more honest about, you know, what I need to do, you know, whatever. Now, I don't sit there all day putting makeup on and doing all that sort of thing like some people do. I no one in this room, of course. But what I'm saying is a mirror really is about discovering. You've got, you've got to find a mirror that lets you discover what you really like, all right? Now, we get a bit over, over-conscious of what it shows us. But isn't it better to know the truth? Isn't it? And, and then learn to live with the truth, that's better, isn't it? So a mirror really is, um, is something that reflects the truth back, back to us, okay? For better, for worse. And so if the Bible is likened to a mirror, then what it's encouraged, there's a few things that come out of that. Like you, you can think about this more afterwards. I just want to sow the seed, otherwise we'll be here a long time. But the thing is, um, it's really telling you, you, it's up to you to come to the word and to discover what the Word is saying about you. Is that right? So to actually see yourself in the mirror. And what this is encouraging us to do is it's encouraging us to say, um, see what you already are. See what is already spoken about you. See, you know, build your sense of identity and worth upon what the Bible tells you you are. You see, there's other places like where, you know, where it plays a bit different role in our life. But what I want you to see from each of these is it's not really us taking the script and then trying to live up to it. That is not what the word is. The word is really something that we look into to discover what has been truthfully spoken about who you are and who I am. And I think that's one of the greatest rules we have in, you know, we're talking about community and bringing stuff to our community. You know, one of the greatest rules that we have is to actually bring to people an accurate, truthful perspective of what God is like and therefore what you're like. Because so many people just have this distorted view of what God is like. Either one that fits their situation or one that's been established over years or whatever in their life. And so people have, but it's, you know, truth is truth. Is that right? And so when we come to the mirror, look, you can always look in a mirror that suits you. We used to go to the Lunar Park when I was, it's a long, long time ago. We lived in Melbourne and I can remember going along to Lunar Park, which I think is in Sydney now. There's one in Sydney. I don't know if there's still one in Melbourne or not. But all I remember about this as a young kid, I don't remember much about it, but I can remember going through this hall of mirrors. Anyone know what I'm talking about? And you go through the hall of mirrors and what it had was it had a mirror that made you look really skinny. Then it had a mirror that made you look, you know, really big. And then it had a mirror that made you look very wobbly and very funny. Now, now you don't have to go to Lunar Park, do you? Because most of your laptops have an app or a program where I see the kids look sort of, you know, they, they, they distort themselves and then they laugh about how distorted they look in this picture on their iPad or whatever because they've got an app there that just makes you look either wobbly or 
weird or blue or green or whatever color. Now, the thing is, it doesn't tell you the truth. It's not a real mirror. But the Word of God will reveal to you the truth about who God is and will reveal to you the truth about who you are. And I want to say the mirror, you know, the one that makes me look really red, might not tell me what I want to hear or what I want to see. But in the Word of God, I can assure you of this, that when you discover what it says about you, it will be a positive thing. It will be something that paints a picture of you that gives you an idea of how God sees you and how God created you and what he thought of before you were born and what his plan is and his purpose is for your life. And when you get that, when you get that, then it really changes the way that you live your life. Really back to what I said in my introduction. It changes the way that you walk around town. Now again, you know what I'm saying. You're not walking around like someone a bit arrogant or whatever, but you're walking around town because you've got a purpose. You're here for a reason. You might say sometimes, why on earth am I doing this? Why on earth am I here or whatever? But you've got to understand that ultimately if that's the real question, you need to explore that a bit. But if it's just the bad day you're having, then you're there for a reason. And there's a bigger picture to what you're doing and who you are and why you're doing it. Do you get me? And that just changes the whole way that you've your life. It changes the way you make decisions. It changes the way you interact with people. Did you know that the way you feel about yourself affects the way that you interact with people? And I've often said this, it's very hard to fight off envy if, you're so, uh, if your perspective of what you do and who you are is so small that every person you look at is bigger or better off than you, then envy will be a constant battle for you or resentment, or whatever. There's all those horrible negative emotions that we face in our life that actually when we, a lot of them are solved not by trying to change our circumstances and become better than anyone else or even better than what we are now, although God will bring change to circumstances. But the the way to deal with a lot of those negative emotions is to actually to see yourself the way you really are to see yourself the way God sees you, to begin to understand the plan and the, that God has for you and the value that he puts on your life. Now, I know what happens when we get a bit cynical about, oh, God loves you, hearing that all the time. But, you know, we've got to dig a bit deeper. He does love you. But what does that mean? Well, it's actually not an emotion. It actually talks about his commitment to you and what he wants for you and his desire and his intention for your life. And so the Bible as a mirror, I don't don't want to say any more, the Bible as a mirror, think about that and think about what that means and and make the Bible attractive because you know a mirror is helpful, isn't it? And when you discover that a Bible, part of the purpose of a Bible is to be a mirror, it just makes it more inviting. It's not a book that you've got to learn to try and then put into practice. It's not a book that becomes a script for a play that you need to memorise so that you can try to change your own behaviour and your own whatever where you're living contrary to what you really are. What you need to do is discover from the word who you really are, who God says you are. Because when you do that, then you'll begin to realise that actually then he's given you the ability to live up to who he says you are. Another whole message in itself. So all I can say is, I was thinking about this and I felt to really share, to really share, what does that really mean? What does that really mean, to really share? I was just thinking, I want to share this with you today about being a mirror. So you can go to sleep because when I thought of that, I thought of these other ones, right? But the mirror was the main one that I wanted to give you. Is that all right? So off to sleep now or not? All right. So um, James won the mirror. 
The others, actually, I just want to refer to quickly because our time's pretty well done and I just want to leave it with you and let you think about it a bit yourself. Um, Matthew 13, 18 to 23 is one example in the Gospels where Jesus uses the parable of the sower. I'm not going to read it or anything, but it talks about the seed. Um, most of you would have heard of it, and if you haven't, then uh, Matthew 13, um, uh, what verse uh, 18 to 23, have a read and just let it speak to you yourself. Because what it says is it says the word is like a seed. And it really talks about our hearts being like a seed bed that that seed is planted into. So the word is like a seed. Again, if you think about it, you can't really turn a seed into anything much. I mean, you could crush it and turn it into flour. We drove past the flour mill last night with one of the grandkids and I said, this is the flour. They said, this is a big building. And I said, it's a flour mill. You know what a flour mill is? And we had a big talk about I thought they might have understood what I said, but I don't know. But I said, it's where they crush the wheat, make flour, and then... You know, do you know what flour is? And they said yes, and so whatever. Anyway, so you can turn a seed into flour. But really, you plant a seed, all you've got to do, your part in it is to create the right environment for that seed to produce after its own kind. Is that right? I mean, a seed is really an amazing thing when you stop and think about it. We take it for granted because all our life we just kind of see a seed and we plant it, you know, and it grows and we don't get surprised by that. But, you know, to take um, a seed and to plant it, for a farmer to take it, uh, $10,000 worth of seed and put it in a machine and bury it under the ground in a way that they can never retrieve it. Like, that's faith, isn't it? They're sowing the seed. But what they're trusting is, they're trusting that the environment will be right and they're doing their part, but they're hoping the environment would be right to be able to produce something. I can't produce anything. I can just sow the seed and hope that the environment's right. So our part in this whole thing, if the word of God is a seed, our part is to have a heart that allows that seed to grow and produce fruit. And that parable there describes some different kinds of hearts. It says, you know, you have a heart that receives the word, but then you get caught up in the cares and the worries of the world. That's a little bit like the paddock where all the thistles grow. We can, we can get that. I'll get that. I think it's a good picture. Then there's another one where the seed was sown, but the soil was so shallow that it just hit a rock and it tried to put its roots down and whatever. But look, hey, it grew for a bit and it looked nice. It looked like it was going to come to something, but the roots just couldn't get into any fertile soil and so it kind of shrivels up or it keeps struggling. It's amazing where things will grow. Who knows that? Oh, at the front of the church, we've got some cracks in the cement, you know, at the footpath. And you're fighting them all the time, like these little tiny plants come up through the crack in the footpath. Fancy that. It's not very fertile not a very good environment for something to grow, but these weeds, they get going anywhere. But what happens is with this seed is that it looks like it's going to do some good, but in the end, it hits some rocks and it doesn't find the moisture and the roots can't go down and then it becomes weak and just tips over. Like We get that picture. How good an analogy is that? So the Word of God is a seed and, and it'll do its work. It'll do the work. You don't have to change yourself. You don't have to try and live up to it. You don't have to try and act out the script. What you have to do is you have to trust that word and let it get into your heart. And you have to let your heart be a seedbed that's neither a thorny paddock or a rocky soil. But actually, what is it? It's a fertile, deep soil that those roots can get down and then it can produce fruit. Is it you doing anything? Not really. It's just you presenting the seed a good place for it to grow and do its work. That's what you have to do. So the mirror, well, that's just... Taking a moment to explore and to discover truthfully, not just what you want to see, but what it's really telling you. The seed is, let your heart be like a seed bed where that seed can be planted and produce after its own kind. The other one is Psalm 119, 105. One of my favourite verses over the years and probably well known to some of you. 
And it just talks about your word as a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And I've, I've just thought about that a bit and thought, what does that mean? When I get into the word, it will speak into my life in two ways. One of them will speak into the big picture. You know, it lights up the pathway. But the other one is, it will be a lamp to my feet. It will actually steer me in the situation that I'm in. It'll give me the next step. It'll help me to step forward. So the lamp, a lamp is different to a light. A lamp in my feet is different to a light that lights up the pathway. If you go out camping and you put up a big light that lights up the camp, you come out of your tent in the middle of the night and you want to go to the toilet. Well, that's pretty handy to get you there. But really what you need is a torch in your pocket as well, don't you? So you can sort of see where the toilet paper is and, I don't know, this is just coming to me as I'm talking to you. But, um, you know, it's just, you sort of, there's a difference, isn't there, between the big picture and seeing the thing that's immediately in front of you. And the Word of God is actually a light for both. It's a lamp and a light. So I'll let you think about that yourself. But, you know, it will speak into the big picture of your life, but it will also speak into the details of your life. It may not be the same language as what you're asking the question in, but what it will do is it will, it will, it will, it will bring in um, a principle that you can apply. It will bring in um, a way to perceive things or whatever. I don't know. It's amazing, isn't it, how relevant the word is, both to the big picture and to our daily life. You know, one thing that reminds me of is the manna that came from heaven. You know, when children of Israel were walking in the wilderness and God was still watching out for them and caring for them. And what he did was every day he provided manna for them. And obviously what happened, when that first started to happen, some of them thought, this is all right, I'll put a bit away for a week and I'll be right. So they were a bit insecure about what might happen tomorrow. They were thinking, well, I'll take this into my own hands and I'll, I'll grab the manna that God's given us today. And he'd given them instructions. He says, just take the manna for the day and then tomorrow, just trust me, I'll bring you some fresh manna tomorrow. But what happened was people thought, as I can understand, they thought, hey, just what, if, what happens if he doesn't turn up tomorrow? I'm going to just make sure I keep a bit of manna for tomorrow. And what happened? Who can tell me what happened when they went to the manna the next day? What happened? It was all rotten, full of maggots and whatever else. It describes it pretty graphically about how messy it was. Because you know what? When we try to make, in a sense... Now, again, this is not talking about having a bank account and saving up for your, you know, for the future. This is not talking about that. This is talking about when we just think, well, I'll take my life into my own hands. I will, you know, I'm trusting God, but I'm also just hedging my bets a bit and I'm just covering things for myself. You know what I mean? And God's just saying, if you trust me, you can trust me in the big picture... And you can trust me in the little things. My word will speak into the big picture, but my word will also speak into the things that you're facing right now. I'm in conflict with someone. How do I deal with that? Well, the Bible's got something to say about that. I'm uh, fearful about something, an uncertainty, which is what we're facing. Well, you know what? It'll speak into how I'm to handle that. And so the word is a lamp and a light. I'll let you think about that yourself. The last one I just wanted to share, and there's others as well, but Ephesians 6 talks about the armour, doesn't it? And so one of those is the sword. Um, and so uh, if you look through Ephesians 6, and again, I'm not going to do it now. I'm going to finish in a minute. So Ephesians 6 just talks about the different forms of armour. And you put them on. They're already there and you just put them on. You don't have to create them. You just put them on. And so there's different parts of armour. And most of them, as you look at them, refer to something to do with truth 
or the word of God, the belt of truth, the, you know, whatever, the feet shod with the gospel of salvation, the, whatever. So those things are talking about uh, mostly to do with the word and with truth. So we, we arm ourselves, don't we, uh, with those things. Um, one verse, so that's in Ephesians 6. Have a look at that. The verse I want to finish with is in Hebrews 4 and verse 12. Um, and I'll just read it from the Amplified. If someone's got it from Hebrews 4.12, has anyone got it in a, there in front of you in a translation other than the Amplified? 4.12. Yep, that'll be great. Uh, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Okay, it's good. And I, uh, it means something to me because I memorised that when I was first saved. I remember I had a Bible cover. I had a big Bible, Bible cover, you know, zip up one, tuck all your notes in there. And I had a big sticker of a sword across the front, Hebrews 4.12, you know, so I remember it. Uh, and that was the translation that I learned it in. And so, you know, we talked about the armour in Ephesians 6 is the sword, you know, the sword of the spirit. But it actually is also a double-edged sword that will penetrate right into the very depths of our life. It says it will, it will uh, come between, it will, what is it, it will divide between or it will penetrate between bone and marrow and what it's really saying in a very graphic way is the word of God can speak into the very depth of your being even the most you know depth uh, deep parts of your life that we have trouble understanding it uh, it speaks into that part of our life it's powerful and it works in our life in such a powerful way I remember thinking back in those days when I this scripture really spoke to me um, I used to say the word of God is not ink on paper you know, but it's powerful and it's spiritual. And, uh, and so that really brings it out. But hey, can I read it to you? Did anyone else have another translation other than the New King James and the Amplified? I'm saying the Amplified for me to read. But anyone else got another one? NIV? NIV, yep, go for it. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Okay, so it gets right in, doesn't it? Like it's like better than a two-edged sword. It goes right in, gets right into our, into our life and powerfully works in our life in areas that we can't change ourselves. I love where it says it judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And it's not meaning it's sitting back like criticizing. It's just helping you to know. It's, it's helping you to be alerted to when your thoughts and your intents are not right and not consistent. And so it brings it to your attention so that, you know, it penetrates those very deep parts of your life so you can see see uh, and respond to um, you know the way that it's working in your life all right um, I'll go straight to Hebrews 4.12 because I can see you want to be done Hebrews 4.12 amplified for the word of God is living and active and full of power in brackets making it operative energizing and effective pretty cool isn't it operative energizing and effective it is sharper than any two-edged sword penetrating as far as the division of the soul and the spirit, the completeness of a person and of both joints and marrow, the deepest parts of our nature, exposing and judging the very thoughts and intentions of the heart. And the Passion Translation, For we have the living word 
of God. We have the living word of God, which is full of energy. It pierces more sharply than a two-edged sword. It will even penetrate to the very core of our being, where soul and spirit and bone and marrow meet. It interprets and reveals the true thoughts and secret motives of our heart. Father, thank you for your word. It's not ink on paper. It's not a textbook that we have to try and memorize and pass the test. It's not a script that we have to learn and then try and act out perfectly the role that it gives us to play. But Lord, it's, it's like a mirror that shows and reveals something beautiful about ourselves, what you say about us and who you say we are. Lord, help us to discover that truth. Now, one of the Apostle Paul said, um, I pray that you have a revelation of your inheritance and the power of God that works in you. Lord, it's, um, it's like a seed that if our hearts will just create the right environment, then it will produce a hundredfold. It will grow and flourish, put down its roots and produce something beautiful in our lives. Um, Lord, it's, it's like that. Um, what was the other ones? I should get you to tell me. It's like the lamp and the light, Lord, that, that reveals the present and opens up the big picture of the future. It's like the sword that's like a weapon or an armour in our hand, but it's also like the sword that penetrates the very depth of our being. Lord, how powerful is your word. How wonderful is your word. How alive, how active and operative and energising and effective is your word to us. Lord, take your word today and let it just stir in our hearts and encourage us and refresh us in our journey of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.